Hello everyone, it's Coach Heather from TikTok. You may know or remember me as Coach Heather 904. And welcome to our podcast, Get Happy and Drop the Label. In this podcast, we will discuss healing and recovering from all types of trauma. Trauma does not end at growing up. Healing the trauma starts by talking about it. We make ourselves aware and those who seek the truth will keep seeking the truth. We are fully committed to ourselves and to others at the pursuit of happiness, or we will die trying. And remember, recovery is not one size fits all. Yay! Oh, hello everybody. This is our podcast, Get Happy. And with me today is my good friend, Cassie. She's been on our podcast a few times. And unfortunately, Diamond wasn't able to make it today. Um, She had um, an illness today that she needed to deal with. um, So she's resting. But um, Cassie and I have a real treat for you. We are going to talk about decolonization uh, in this podcast. Podcast, which is something that's actually new to me. Um, just uh, a little bit about me, and then I'm going to hand the podcast over to Cassie. Um, I grew up in a rural area, area in Florida where I did not really receive a lot of information about other cultures outside of white culture and what you would imagine that to be in a rural Southern town in Florida. So whenever I started to have like this ego death, spiritual awakening type thing, I downloaded the the app TikTok and I started learning about other cultures like indigenous culture, which is actually my ancestors, but that's for another um, episode y'all can listen to. And I started learning about the black culture. I started learning about Puerto Rican cultures. I mean, just all kinds of cultures, you know, because just the lack thereof and where I lived. And um, I also learned more and more and more about white culture and The mesh that we're going to talk about uh, between white and black culture today, um, and it spills into other cultures, but specifically, we're going to really talk about black culture um, and how uh, whitewashed everything is. Um, It's very uh, trigger warning. There's some generational trauma. Um, There's some like triggering things like um, abuse and other things like that that may trigger you. So viewer discretion is advised, but these things need to be talked about because there are simple things that I enjoyed, like having a picnic at a park that I thought was so simple, but it's really not actually that simple. And I think that this needs to be talked about. um, And I think this needs to be heard. So without further ado, I am going to hand the podcast over to Cassie. Um, And the reason that I invited her onto this podcast is because she has taken time out of her day to really educate me on so many different things. Like she said, uh, things like, Heather, did you know that this word is offensive? I'm like, no, I didn't. Thank you for telling me. Or she's found a video on TikTok and said, Heather, did you know this about this subject? Like, no, I didn't, Cassie. Thank you very much. And even just in talking in passing, she's very educated and well-spoken. So without further ado, um, this is Cassie. Well, hello. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you again for having me on here. It's it's always fun. Um, and I want to start with all roads lead back to slavery. All yes. roads lead back to 
whiteness. And I've only been on this journey for about a year. And that kind of the catalyst for all of the influx of information was leaving my family. I got out of it and I started to, I stepped outside of my family and I started to look at them, at their patterns of behavior. And I started to mesh what I was learning with how I was raised. And I saw that I was in fact raised in a quite a problematic family. And so decolonization is the practice to me because, and I'm sure there's other black creators on TikTok that would maybe define it differently. But for me, it has been to look at all of my tightly held values, beliefs, and experiences and view them through the lens of white supremacy and view them through the lens of how the indigenous people would have handled the same situation. And in doing that, I have learned that I, being black and white biracial, raised by a white woman in a black family that I was not blood related to, that was heavily traumatized by Jim Crow, very indoctrinated into the Baptist church, it, it was all problematic. I was taught that there's a right and a wrong way to be black. I was taught that whiteness is money and I look now, like, I used to think my grandfather was just trying to like hurt me when he gave me advice or like he was just being hard on me. And I look back and I'm like, he's making, he's giving advice based on the lens of his own experience. So for example, like he seemed, and he never directly said anything, but it was like the tone of his voice and body language and like his mannerisms when he would talk about like black men being quote, black men so like sagging pants bumping their music big chains all of that stuff and he just seemed to not care for them and through this journey I realized that it comes from a place of fear because if he would have done any of those things growing up he would have been lynched he grew up in Indiana my grandmother grew up in Georgia so like you know that yeah so and yeah, this I just want to say, um, some people might not know what lynching is because I didn't know what that was uh, up until about five or six months ago. And I know that's kind of a very triggering word, so you can decline, but if you want to, but would you be willing to explain answer, what that I'll, is? I'll answer whatever I've learned because this knowledge is valuable and it is most valuable to anyone that does not understand the impact that chattel slavery had on an entire culture, an entire race, and how we still see it in society today. So lynching is basically where, like the gallows, where they would hang Black people from trees, and they have specific hanging trees. I want to say they're willow trees, but I'm on medication, so I don't quite remember. But they would hang them for negligible offenses. Just, you looked at a white woman, you got hung. And, or you, they accused you of stealing. They, you looked like another black person who committed a crime somewhere else. Like I just heard the other day about a story in Anna, Illinois, which is where I live in Illinois. And there was a, apparently a man was, a black man was accused of raping a white woman named Anna in the town of Anna and they hung him. And Anna is an acronym for ain't no N-words allowed. Oh my so, God. So yeah, and 
I don't know how many people know this, but there are still lynchings to this day. They found an 80 year old woman hanging recently. They found like, I think there's been like maybe four or five that I've heard of this year. They're all classified as either suicides or accidents, but just culturally speaking, I don't see African-American people using that method to end their lives. I just, it's, you know, it, it just feels kind of, so it, it just. Yeah, especially happened. an 80 year old woman. And, you know, there was this tree um, and I know I've, I've told you about it before um, actually, but there was this tree near my house that was giving me bad vibes. So I did some research and found in an old newspaper that back in 1920, they hung four black people to that tree just for being black. Yeah, no, they they would do that, tie them in the fence post, drag them behind cars. Um, a Time to Kill is actually a really good movie from the 90s that very, very beautifully illustrated. I mean, as beautiful as racism can be, it's not beautiful. Let me take that back. But it's a beautiful movie. It's well done. And it, it illustrates the racial tensions in Mississippi back, I think it was like the 50s, where it, the movie is about a truck full of white men see a little eight-year-old girl walking home with groceries they grab her off the side of the road they rape her they hang her in the rope breaks I think I haven't seen it in forever but I don't and I don't even remember the end of it but I it the way the town responded (laughs) it was it it it's a Mm -hmm. wonderful movie that illustrates and then um oh my god the movie about Medgar Evers too that one is amazing he was I think murdered in his driveway But um, on the note of lynching, when lynching was like a pastime for white people, like that's where the word picnic came into, I guess, existence. They would literally pack lunches and they would go and watch black people hang for sport, take pictures. They would cut pieces of his skin and hair, take bones home. They would take home souvenirs. Their children were there. And there was one instance that this is heavy trigger warning. There was a pregnant woman that they hung her and then they cut the baby out of her. She was pregnant. They cut the baby out of her. When the baby fell on the ground, it cried a couple of times and then they stomped its head into the ground. They also used to feed our children to alligate. They used them as gator bait. They called them gator babies. And that's where the term hush puppies, I think, came from, because if you threw uh, through the little biscuit it like it like the dog wouldn't find them and that's what the dogs were looking for were we were for black people so they would throw the biscuits to like make the dogs go away I've heard that I don't believe that's confirmed I've heard other theories but that is the most common one because my kid had um, hutch puppies for the first time this year I love them but we looked up he likes to know the origins of things so we looked them up and yeah um yeah it's not it's it's such an ugly history and it really is because you think something as simple as having a picnic at a lunch is at a park is 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 simple but it's really not that simple you know like and and how many parks and you and you know state parks and inhabitable places you know where we go to enjoy ourselves you know are are actually come everywhere 
yeah every, yeah they're everywhere and bad places ha or bad things happen there and a lot of those places were promised to black people you know to go live and then now they can't live there because it's a state park that or or they would just murder everyone and run the rest out of town like um Oscarville Georgia which is now the site of Lake Lanier there's actually a movie coming out in 2023 it's on my page right now the trailer it looks amazing because for the first time it is not under the scope of black trauma it is white people getting retribution from the souls of the people in the lake so a little bit of story on that it was like a black wall street it was very prominent black town because typically we find that when black folks are left alone they make something out of nothing they can create a business out of a matchbook and a pad of paper they literally can make anything out of anything and i keep saying they i'm black biracial but i'm talking about dark-skinned americans who face way more racism and discrimination than I do. Cause I can't sit here and say that my experience has been anything like their experience. I am lighter skinned. So my racism that I experience is more covert. It's quiet, it's microaggressions. Whereas like I, I've outright been called the N word but it's not something that I deal with on a daily basis. I'm not gonna get denied service for my skin color. I'm not going to, I don't stress out when the cops pull me over like it's it's different so that's what i mean when i say they someone lacking privilege um but so it was a prominent town and i don't remember exactly i think they were just pissed off because they were doing too well and so they came in and they burned down the town and they ran the rest of the people out they killed a bunch of people and then they flooded the town it is now a vacation spot for white people and people keep going missing on the lake and white people are like it's just a myth and it's like jump in the water and see people have gone in and said they felt something pulling them down like it's, what's the name it's of haunted. that lake lake lanier lake lanier oh my gosh thank you for telling me about that i i think you have told me about that in the past and maybe i d didn't remember but i want to go look stuff. again <laughs> Yes, I want to go look at that again. You know, there's another story like that similar to it in West Virginia, but indigenous. Um, uh, they flooded an indigenous tri um, tribe and they put an amusement park on top of their desecrated bodies. And I'm not surprised. Six, not surprised either. And six american white children died at that amusement park and they finally had to shut it down and after they shut it down like 20 years later somebody else bought it and they started to like just dig it up to renovate it and that's when they found all these um indigenous bones and then they were like uh sorry get like out can't desecrate you know like the dead and luckily they just leave it as it is now they don't desecrate it anymore i mean it yeah, it's, it's not great. I look just on a curse precursory cursory Google search. There are five different towns that were flooded out. And then I'm not sure if you're familiar with the 21, I think it was 1921 Tulsa race massacre, where they just literally went into a town and killed everyone because they were black. So yeah, no, I hadn't heard of that. It's basically, and I'm actually looking up a fact right now. There are 
here it is. In October 1991, the excavation crew for a new federal building on Lower Broadway in New York unearthed more than 400 human skeletons. And it was basically just a, they dumped, it was a burial ground. It was a slave burial ground and they dumped 400 people in there and they just paved it over. And then we wonder why all of this stuff is going on in the world. I very much believe in energies that go out in horrific ways. They cannot go where they need to go. And people don't know what they're messing with when they go and mess with these areas. That is why people keep disappearing in Lake Lanier. I'm just saying. There's also, um, I have a friend, uh, Brendan, he's on TikTok. He's, I think, Bren.Zero. He lives in a town that they, same type of thing happened. They ran him out. It used to be like a black utopia. It's called Lakeview. And um, the, the black people that were run out had to hide in the woods with Indian tribes. And then they kind of just like incorporated into the tribes. And he's actually working to get that, that city town um certified as a historical landmark because it used to literally be like it was the i think the first wealthy black town there's a lot of history there and there's a lot of racism there there's a lot of yeah but that that's in the state of illinois so like they're they're everywhere you go i mean we used to have to use a green book to travel are you familiar with the green book no what is the i mean i think i've heard of it but i can't remember so you will you refresh my memory Mm -hmm. there's a movie about it about an um a singer that had to use the book to travel across the country because so what a green book is is it it's a travel guide for black people which basically tells them where it is safe to travel through where you can stop where you can stay because and I'm not sure again, are you familiar with sundown towns? No, what's sundown town? So Anna, Illinois is a sundown town. That basically means if you are dark and it gets dark, you're dead. And they'll usually around sunset, if you're passing through or whatever, they will say like, hey, you might want to get out of here because like there's, and it doesn't seem that there's any recourse for the people that are committing hate crimes in these sundown towns. And then there's rumor that like, I think it's Oregon is a full-blown sundown state they just pretend to be super progressive i can't speak a ton on that because i'm still reading about it but yeah sundown towns exist all across the country and there are a lot of places unsafe for black people to be at certain points in the day or places that they can't live or and from what i read there's a few people that like black people that live in sundown towns and it's not wonderful for them I won't speak on the experience again because I'm still researching that particular piece of it. But yeah, green books are, they basically, it's a guide to staying alive when you're traveling across the country. And do they still have to travel with those to this day, you think? I mean, we use them and we, like, there's full series on TikTok dedicated to where it is safe to travel as a Black person. And people wow. will are documenting their trips and sharing their experiences. And there, there was a whole thing about sundown towns where a lot of people were talking about them and sharing facts. And so, I mean, yes and no, the Green Book, I think, is still in existence. And maybe the older community uses it. 
but we mostly rely on like word of mouth now, social media and stuff like that. But yes, we still definitely make sure that a place is safe to go before we go there. I know um, one time I went on a date with a black man in Alabama, in rural Alabama. I'm surprised that he lived there. But anyways, um, it was like really late and we were on this like county road. It was 2 a.m. And these cops pulled these white cops, young, young white cops pulled us over and uh, they were going to give him a ticket. And they said that he was driving recklessly. We weren't driving recklessly. We weren't even listening to the radio loud. Like we were literally just driving on that road and talking and we weren't doing anything crazy. And then I, you know me being you you know me by now I'm a little feisty you know so uh when the cop said that we were driving recklessly and they was talking to him they didn't see me sitting in the passenger seat and I ducked my head down and I said what we were not driving recklessly when where what and they realized that I was a young white girl and they just said oh never mind thank you they were going to harass him you know and to this day that's always stuck with me I'm like well why uh, because he was after so when I in the past if I was hanging out with my black friends and the police ever got were involved I would always be pulled aside from the group and asked what I was doing with those people as though I was not the one instigating all the shit to begin with but you know what and I had to learn I had, that my skin can pose danger because they literally, even though I was the instigator, they were like, oh, you the poor little white skin girl. Like, what are these black people doing to you? Like very. And then I also wanted to point out, you said that you were surprised that he lived there, but like, I think it's, what was it? Like two thirds of the black population lives in the South. And that is because of slavery. A lot of them migrated out, but they, they had laws that prevented them from leaving. They tried to leave and they were forced to stay. So I'm glad that you said that because I said that because there's not that many black people where I live. So I just assumed that not that many lived in Alabama. So thank you. See, you're always educating me. I try. I went to Tuscaloosa once and I, we, we were in, cause my, I, I dated one black girl in my life. Let me just preface that by saying I had a lot of really, really fucked up views for a really long time and a lot of stereotypes that I actively fed into and it was the way that I was raised I didn't know any better till I knew better and then I did better and, but I had one black girlfriend but looking back her family was extremely whitewashed respectable respectability politics anyways her mother was attending University of Tuscaloosa and we went out on the town one night and I, her sister is also light-skinned because her sister is, she's the half-sister and she's mixed. And we kind of looked like sisters a little bit. That's kind of creepy now. Anyways, um, we were told, you guys need to be careful. Cover your drinks. Don't leave them anywhere. You're light-skinned. And these college boys will do anything to get you. And like, they actively discarded and ignored all of the darker-skinned people in our party and they we got hit on we got hollered at we got followed up the street people trying to buy drinks for it like it it's it's very very real but that's that's leading into like colorism which is discrimination against darker skinned people and for the record no one that's not dark skin can experience colorism your light skin gives you privilege in a lot of ways 
So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. And uh, what kind of challenges do people with darker skin? I mean, I know you've already listed a few, but um, I'm just unaware because I'm light skinned, you know, so it would, it would be educating me. You would be considered rice skin. I am light skin. Just so you know, like in the, the spectrum of black, you're just white. Whereas oh, okay. I am I yellow because I am lighter skin with some black features and tan skin that does get pretty dark if I go into the sun. Um black people can't really do anything without obstacles. Like there was just an article released recently that like most of the bank or the mortgage loans that banks are denying are black people, even if they're walking in with perfect credit and backgrounds and bank statements and cash to pay, they're not going to give them the mortgage. Like it's, and it's the same for anything that they would try to do. Like I worked in HR for 20 years and I and in the last couple of years of my career, I started to see it and speak up. And I actually got fired for pointing out a wage disparity from one company because they paid like the new white workers shitloads of money. And the people, the Mexican employees that had been there 20 years were making like 18 bucks an hour. When I asked, they said, it's because they do $18 an hour worth of work. And I'm like, bro, he don't even take a lunch. And this white kid is over here on his phone. Like he doesn't even know what, he, what are you talking Anyways, um, so working in HR, if there was a name that sounded black, I was not supposed to call them. And if by chance somebody that was black with a white sounding name would slip in and get to the interview, the look on their faces when a black woman walked in, like absolutely they don't get hired. Um, and then like looking at a study between felons, right? white felons get hired at like I think it's like 30 to 40 percent higher chance of them getting hired than a black felon like they're every single thing that a dark-skinned person has to do is met with opposition and they can't even go to fucking Walmart without getting their receipts checked you know what I mean like I don't yeah I, I I've had occasionally someone check my receipt because they're checking everyone's receipt, but like black folks go to Walmart and they get a, I just saw a couple different videos where they pulled a woman out the check stand and they, they put all her groceries on the floor and they started going through her bag and matching up skew numbers. And she said that, and she returned everything and she left. Good, like that good happens, for her. It happens at literally every single day, everything. And that is why and this kind of leads into the whiteness of it. I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that white folks are so pressed because a lot of white folks are mediocre. They're nothing special. They don't have any discernible talents or skills. They're not especially intelligent. And they still squander the things that they have whereas a black person like I said you give them a matchbook and a pencil and they're gonna make something out of it and so mm -hmm. that to me and going a little bit deeper than race and looking at strictly behavior patterns it's from a place of insecurity it's from a place of inadequacy it's from a place of their mother because your mother teaches you how you feel about yourself 
their mothers humiliated and belittled and berated them, maybe beat them or sexually abused them. Like their mothers made them into these small little people, small, I'll use men to be, because men and women are different when you're talking about white folks. The men are so small and empty inside that they feel like they have to project this big boy image so that they never let anybody know how small they are. Whereas the white woman, if we look at like the plantation mistress, um, I read Harriet Jacobs was a, a slave girl and she wrote stories about her experiences as a slave. And she was one of the children that the plantation master had chosen as his, one of his concubines. So he would assault her and leave and go do his thing. And then she would go to the mistress for comfort and the mistress would beat the shit out of her a second time. Because, and if you look at that, it's because could she go and bring that grievance to her husband? No. So what are you going to do? You project down. Exactly. Yeah, she's mad that he's doing the assault and all this nasty stuff to another woman. So she's going to beat her because she can't talk it to wasn't her even about, about the it. fact that it was a child it was about the fact that he had sex with someone else and I actually wrote in some I'm working on a bunch of different pieces just looking at my identity and looking at the way my mother raised me and comparing that to plantation mistresses and I really think what it is I wrote in my paper it's a lot of it comes from the fact that she's jealous that her husband would rather be in the slave quarters than in his bed getting something she would willingly give him. And that's sick. Like, how do you even get married to that? Where does that sick mentality come because from? Because back then women were property. Marriage was business. You oh, know yeah, what they I mean? had to be, yeah, they had to be betrothed, right? Exactly. And so it wasn't like marriage. That's where the common con modern, modern concept of marriage came from. I'm marrying for love because I don't want to be with someone who beats me up and just gives me $10 a week because that's typically what happened. They were tight fisted and they were mean. And so, and then looking at the white woman, she is insecure she's never chosen. And then I don't know if you've seen a black woman, but goddamn, even the ones that society would say are quote ugly. I could never. And I'm, I'm a black woman and no, I'm not a black woman. I hate saying that phrase because I feel like it takes away from their experience. I'm a black biracial woman. I don't think I could ever have like the majesty and the elegance that I've seen black, like they glow and they float. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. blue. And so think about being in high school because a lot of white women are about seven to 16 years old emotionally and mentally. They see these pretty girls that everybody else wants and it makes them feel gross inside. And so instead of addressing what's gross inside, they take it out on black women. And I say that as someone who was raised by a white woman and like my hair got too many compliments. So she cut it off when I was eight years old. You know what I mean? Like who does that to their child? 
shames me for everything. Like, I really, really, really believe that the white women that we are seeing today are just plantation mistresses 2.0. I I completely, I mean, look, I mean, they got all kinds of TV show TV shows for him on the t- what was it the housewives of of oh. Orange County I mean no, I mean and no disrespect to those women but what what else they, is all that? they, they yeah they openly admit that they marry for money mm-hmm. it's it is so white women's jealousy is at the root of a lot of the problems that we have today are you familiar with Tignan laws I am not will you repeat that again what's it called Tignan laws. How do you spell that? T-I-G-N-O-N. They were established, I believe, in Louisiana. Again, I am on medication, so my facts are. Um, I believe it was Louisiana in 1786, and it was a requirement that Black women wrap up their hair because it was distracting to the women's husbands. And even with that law, that's where you see those extravagant Creole head wraps with the feathers and the beads and the that because they basically bedazzled their the law. They took it and they made something wow. out of it, which is now a cultural thing that is proudly worn as opposed to I have to wear this because some white lady thinks her husband wants me. He probably wants me. But you know what I mean? Yes. White women are scared and insecure and infantilized and they are taught that they cry to get what they need and because they have no power they have no voice and that's why they come up and they appropriate everything because and I I say this as someone who is half white and who went through a recent identity crisis you try on all the hats until one fits and unfortunately for them, where I was trying out like hobbies and piercings, they're trying on cultures. And a lot of the time, a lot of the stuff that you see that that blows up on TikTok with white women is the same stuff that they demonize black women for. Like dreadlocks. Do you know why they call them dreadlocks? Mm. Because they're dreadful. I, I don't. Because they're <laughs> dreadful. And I did not know that. And braids. And do you know the origin of braids? I don't know the origin of braids. Back in the day, in slavery, they used to braid the paths to freedom. The maps were braided into their hair. And there's actually, I just saw a great TikTok where they explained what the different patterns meant. And underneath the map was seeds and rice and things to feed themselves along the journey and once they got to where they're going. So white women going out and getting braids is incredibly offensive because you are putting on a culture that you have no idea why we did that. You have no idea how important it is and you're putting on something that you actually helped participate in. Part of the reason- That feels pretty gross. Like that makes me want to throw up. It is gross. And like part of the reason that um, I just lost my train of thought. Part of the reason that we have. Um, oh, my goodness. I'll come back to it. I forgot what I was going to say. 
Oh, um, that's okay. Well, while you're thinking of it, I'll say that they also do the same thing with indigenous cultures. I've seen where the Celtics have been putting putting um like the red print over their mouths and also um and getting offended when someone says no that's a symbol specifically for MMIW yeah they get offended for yeah and then um also I've been seeing where a lot of other a lot of people like to wear headdresses and you know the feather headdresses are given based off of like um uh um the requirements are different per tribe but right you have to earn those earn those right that's what I was trying to say so for somebody just be wearing it and being like this is my culture like I got it I got this at five below do you like it it matches my my outfit and then they're like white or something I'm like honey please stop you are embarrassing yourself take that off but they think they they think they look cool you know what I mean they think that they are classy and they think it looks cute and it's like bro you don't understand the implication behind you don't understand the implications behind it you don't understand that those headdresses that the entire indigenous culture was murdered in one way or another and you're over here playing dress up in something that is sacred to them Headdresses and braids, sacred. You know what I mean? And so it's very much, it's offensive and they get offended. I figured out, and again, these are all theories that I'm working on, but they get offended because they they track their worth with how people view them, right? Right. And so when you like with the perfect example is Ted Cruz, someone criticized something that he supported and you could see it in his body language, you could see it in his face. Like he automatically assumed that that made him a bad person instead of being able to separate his beliefs from his support. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why people feel so personally attacked. Like when someone says something that maybe doesn't jive with them, like I, I, you know, um, it's a lot uh, easier uh, place when people come from understanding, you know, and at least for me, whenever that happens, I always tell, you know, I always say, thank you for educating me. And, you know, another thing that people may not be aware of that, um, I learned, and I meant to say this earlier when we were talking, um, I don't know if people knew this or not, but did, did you know that a lot of our forefathers had very young, like 14 year old mistresses in their basements, like at all times. And these are founding fathers. They're called called what? Bed warmers. Bed warmers? From what I understand, yeah, they would keep like whoever they fancied and they would have them in the bed to warm the bed up before they got into it that is disgusting and you know what I went to Thomas Jefferson's house on an eighth grade history trip and Charles or no no Monticello Virginia in the eighth grade and his bed was very small and it was made out of pink silk and I'm just Ugh, just obnoxious yeah like it's it was a twin size a 14 year old it's enticing to a 14 year old you know that his uh quote yeah i'm not even gonna call her his mistress his victim sally yeah. Hemming, was 14 years old 
birthed in six children that I believe some of them were enslaved. Like, oh, I remember what I was going to say, and it's kind of tied into this. Um, so Sally Hemings, I believe, belonged to his wife's sister, and she was like inherited and all that. And um, the, a lot of the reason that they put laws into place during slavery to protect slaves was because the white women were beating the slaves to death. Like they, during their punishments, they would beat them to death. Like they were white women were, and you, I mean, look at the, the dynamics between men and women. Women are more cruel because we're more calculating. Men are actually the emotional ones. Whereas we have an outburst of emotion and then we go into game mode and I'm like, I'm gonna get your ass. So, you know what I, that part. So, whereas a man is just going to punch you in your face, a woman is going to plot your demise. And Mm. so that is why those laws were put into place. And then uh, tying that over to Sally Hemings and all the children, that culture is so deep that we still see that culture today. And that goes back to the change of the word, um, I, arsenicoi in the Bible, which was replaced with homosexual. Arsenicoi means man and child. Like it was basically thou shall not lie with man as though they do. It replaced the word man with child. That was actually what that was. So child sex has been a thing. Like if you go back to Greek times, they had, and I, again, the word escapes me, but basically it was like an apprenticeship where the, it was a homoerotic apprenticeship between like a 39 year old man and a 12 year old boy. And it was expected to continue for years. It was sex education, um, just learning how to be a man. Everybody had, everybody does it. Not everybody. I don't, I was a victim of it, but you know what I mean? Like it's very, very common. And that is why the trafficking rates are so high today. That is why. And because of the fetish, I can never say this word fetishization of black and brown women. Where do you think they're going when they're being abducted? They're being trafficked. Yeah, and I don't know if our listeners know this, but roughly about 850,000 children go missing in the United States alone every year. And um, per capita, Montana is the worst place in the world for women and children to be murdered or go missing. Um, That's because uh, of the indigenous people who live there and um, the white people who live there are very racist. They don't like the indigenous people. That's also um, where the setting of the very popular show Yellowstone is at, where you can see the racism played out on that show. But anyways, so that and that show even shows depicts where these um um and not just um and i'm saying like i'm saying this for indigenous but this is also for black women too um and, and our children and it is a whole the whole united states but anyways where it shows you like it's on tv how they're mm-hmm. the, the drugs and how they're getting kidnapped and how they're getting trafficked and it's on tv how that happens in florida it's it's on tv how it happens everywhere but are uh, like are i mean they listening? lose foster kids all the time they just lost like thousands of foster kids in the last yeah, like, like, how like, do you lose a child in the system 
I'll t- well, uh, I'll tell you how my 10 year, they kidnapped my 10 year old sister from me last year. Did I tell you about that? No. Yeah, they did. Um, the DCF worker, um, she was being very friendly with my mom and my mom was like, uh, supposed to have no contact with my sister. And she told me that my sister was supposed to go live with our, her aunt in Georgia. And the judge never said that she actually said the opposite of that she was supposed to stay with me. But the DCF lady, I think she was being gay with my mom. Um, she lied to me and said my sister- like they were having a relationship. Yes, yes, because they were doing so much shady stuff that I don't have time in this podcast to talk about, but they were doing a lot, a lot, a lot of shady stuff. And um, like it, it like DCF, um, which stands for Department of Ch- Children and Families, they ended up paying me off j- because of how shady it because I was going to sue them, man. It was bad. But yeah, they they kidnapped my sister. It, you know, it is super common. And there are many people talking right now about how DCFS comes into their homes unwarranted. I mean, I had a therapist call on me last in 2020 and it is the most nerve-wracking and horrifying experience that you can ever have to have DCFS in your home and if they decide they don't like you because that's a lot of what it is is they have really petty emotionally immature judgmental unseasoned uneducated people doing this task and they if you're taking your biases into your workplace you cannot be effective at what you do. So if you think that every poor person abuses their children, if you come into someone's house and they are poor, you're automatically going to assume that those children are being abused. If you think that all black people are lazy and on welfare, that's the bias that you take forth with you. And so these biases are coming into play and these children are being removed. There are many women on TikTok that are still fighting with the courts and many women in the world, I'm just saying from the scope of what I can speak on, what I've seen. And, um, and people yeah, say this stuff don't ha- doesn't happen, but it does. Like all of it does. Like it, it happens every day in front of our faces. And I'm not going to say we don't do nothing about it, but what are we doing about it? So that is very much tied to whiteness, whereas, and I'm guilty of this myself, white people don't want no smoke till it's up under their door they if it's not happening it's very individualistic if it's not if it hasn't happened to me then it doesn't exist which is why you get people saying like say say you you know what you know what they say here cassie it makes me so sick they're like oh they just need to stop talking about racism they're the ones who's racist they keep bringing it up it's over slavery's over why can't they just get over it they're the ones because they don't feel they don't feel the effects of it because they're sitting on generational wealth yeah do you know the amount of do you know that like the the total cost of slavery like the the production cost was like four billion dollars in today money like that's how much between the actual enslaved bodies and the the labor it was four billion dollars yeah and like so- white people are owed so much money and then that's probably not counting all the businesses that they lost because of white people um all the land that got messed up or flooded or burned or just you know just all the terrible things that's probably even it's probably even more than that you know 
Oh, I mean, there is, um, what is her name? What is her name? The woman that was, oh, Henrietta Lacks. She is a woman that um, she had cancer, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But she had cells that they, they replicated and they could study them and they took them without her consent and they made bank off of them. And till the family finally was like, yeah, no, and I, I, be I believe they paid them, but they didn't pay them what the cells were worth, nor what they got for it. And on that note, do you know why the field of gyne or how the field of gynecology was invented? No. The father of gynecology used to strap down unanesthetized black women and experiment on them. The chainsaw was invented so that they could saw the pelvis off. If like for me being black, going to the doctor, when you look at my blood results, I have two different creatinine levels because they believe that black people's creatinine is it's measured differently. So I have two different creatinine levels. Um, what, is they, what is creatinine? I, let me do a quick search because I, I want to say creatinine. It facilitates recycling of adenosine triphosphate, which is pr primarily in brain and muscle tissue. Okay. I have no idea how that correlates or what I need it for, but yeah, I have two different. And I noticed on my son's blood work the other day, cause he is mixed, but he is less black. He's a quarter black and he's half indigenous and um, his was ne negligible. What do you, what do you mean? His like his, what, his black, his black creatinine level was negligible. Oh, oh okay. he wasn't okay. classified as black. He's Hispanic. It's it, so like, it's yeah, it's weird how they do that. But speaking of that, did you know that black women have, a, they die four times more in childbirth than any other, like the dis, disparity, the disparity and disproportionate disregard of black people in the healthcare field is gross is gross i absolutely did not know that black women die four times more or they're more four times as more likely to die in childbirth than any other race um that's terrible and you said just for discriminatory type of things in the hospital yeah, either they tend to believe that we're faking our pain. There's also the misconception that black people don't feel pain. And that's a lie that white people told themselves in slavery so that they probably could live with themselves for the horrific things that they did to black bodies. But yeah, they, they believe we don't feel pain. They believe that we're just meat sacks, I guess. And, um, and it's, I'm yeah. not surprised at all at, at any of this because the people that I grew up with, as you know, were so blatantly racist. My grandmother, she was my step-grandmother, actually. Um, she was uh, uh, just the, the epitome of what you're describing, like just bitter, mean, insecure, old white lady. And she was so racist. And I just could never understand like what their, their deal was like, why, like, I just like, why are you just so mad at someone for being black? And just because of color of your skin and everything you say, Cassie, like is so true to me. It's because they're insecure. She hated being married to her husband. And I won't talk about all of that. Um, 
well, not just because of that, but like, I think she took out her anger. She was racist and she took her anger out on black people. I guess that makes sense. But, and you know, if so, let's think about this for a second, you know, so let's say if black people are kind of depressed from all of the generations of oppression that they've had for generations and generations and generations, right? Mm-hmm. Hold, and hold on for a second where I'm going with this. Um, what does that make the the white people who's been oppressing the black people for generation and generation and generation? Will that make them the type of narcissistic people yes. or crazy people yes. that are blowing up? Uh, yes, there is. Well, I mean, they come, people. they come from cannibals. They come from colonizers. They come from bloodthirsty murder. Think about the murders that took place back in the day. Like just crazy shit went down in the wild, wild west. Like it was not cool. And so there's actually a book that I'm in the middle of reading called My Grandmother's Hands. And she is, I want to say a somatic therapist. And she talks about racialized trauma and how it lives and presents in the white and black bodies. And a lot of what we talked about, about white men and white women, that's racial trauma because now their bodies are genetically coded for it. And again, being raised in a white world and not realizing that I myself was also black, like I thought I was told I looked white all my life. And so I was just recently informed, I am, in, I do not in fact look white. And um, I've had to train myself and not train myself. I had to explore and unpack why I felt the need to clutch my bag tighter, why I locked my doors when a black person walks by. That is ingrained. That is epigenetic. And I'm not sure if you're aware of, I think it's Joy Joy DeGroote, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And that is basically, it's trauma responses that are passed down and normalized that now look like culture. And so, uh, yeah, Joy DeGroy, J-O-Y-D-E-G-R-U-Y Leary. Um, And she talks, like, for example, are you familiar with a laughing barrel? No, I'm not with a laughing barrel. Okay. So I have noticed, and a lot of us do this, when when, when Black people laugh, we run in a circle. We run away and come back think do you do you have you experienced that when something's really funny we all <laughs> and we we do a lap that is because back in the day they were not allowed enslaved people on plantations were not allowed to have emotions or joy or fun or sadness like they weren't allowed to cry about their newborn being ripped out of their arms and sold they weren't allowed to cry about their child being murdered in front of them they weren't allowed to feel anything and so there was a barrel that they would run to deposit whatever emotion they had in there and they would come back and do their work. Oh my gosh. That is so sad. It is. And on a Mac and the same thing, this is again, another theory, but it's, I've listened to a lot of black creators and it seems to be the norm. There is a stereotype that black women demean their children and they talk crazy to them. And the reason that it, that is, is because back in slavery, if the master came around and he's like, oh, your daughter's looking fine. No, you don't want her. She's ugly. She's slow. She touched. You don't want her. Or your son's looking mighty strong. Nope, he's, he's touched. He's slow. He's stupid. You don't want him. 
and it just turned into, again, trauma responses that get passed down and normalized to look like culture. Uh, that makes sense that like I can identify with why my family made choices, what the, some of the choices that they made um, as trauma responses. Um, I appreciate you telling me that. And that's so sad, you know, like I appreciate so much everything that, that, you, that you share with me because a lot of these things I had no idea. One thing that I used to always look forward to uh, as a kid every year was the carnival. And whenever, uh, you know, the carnival come, all the lights and just, you know, the games and everything. But uh, yeah, the food. And, um, you know, when I think about the people who run those things, um, they're called carnies. And I don't know if you've ever seen a carny, but um, mm -hmm. they, they look um, a little scary. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, where did those scary carnies come from? Well, let me tell you about some of the where some of the games that they would participate in less than a hundred years ago, actually. Do you know that game where they throw the ball and if the dunk tank and if you hit the the target, the people fall mm -hmm. in the water? Well, do you know what they used to throw the balls at? Black people. Yeah, at black not just and not just black people, but their heads. Or they would throw them at black babies. And I, I just, me, I know I'm just a person, I'm, I'm just a person living a human experience, but Cassie, I can't imagine me ever throwing anything at a baby. I don't care what color it is. I don't care how big it is, how small it is, how ugly it is, how cute it is. If it's white, black, polka dotted, alligator looking, I, I wouldn't even, yeah, I wouldn't even throw a baseball at a baby alligator. How did people do that that's just because it so part of decolonization and part of the reason that you might be more susceptible and you are more susceptible to it is because you have been put through people that have suffered trauma have been put through unimaginable horrors and we want to make sure that no one ever feels like that again so we could never imagine doing that whereas somebody who's never had any trouble in their life, any obstacles, any, any, they just, it's just a displacement of uncomfortable feelings. Every single ball, think of it as containing a piece of their inadequacy, a piece of their rage, a piece of, you know what I mean? And in, and actually I was talking to a friend today and the analogy that popped in my head was fight club when uh, I think it was Brad Pitt, no, it was Ed, Edward Norton, I think beat the shit out of Jared Leto and when like almost killed him and he tapped him out and they were like, what were you doing? And he's like, I just wanted to destroy something beautiful. And that just, and honestly, like the whole practice of decolonization is looking when you feel triggered by something and it's sitting in those feelings and looking at the root of it instead of like most people do, trying to offset it, trying to get it to somebody else. So they don't have, white folks don't like to be uncomfortable. That's why they shut down conversations. That's why they don't identify problems because it's easier to pretend it doesn't exist than it mm -hmm. is to talk about and deal with it. And that's what, and again, that is why the family unit looks like it did because dad ruled the roost and everybody just did what dad said and dad could do no wrong. And it's really, it's the same model you see in the plantation. Dad could fuck on all the kids in the house 
and it's not a big deal because it's dad. He wouldn't do that. You're lying, you know? And so it, every, like I said in the beginning, all roads lead back to white folks and the practice of decolonization is not going to work unless, and in particular, white women, because they are the ones standing in the way of progress. Roe v. Wade is a perfect example. Black yes. and brown women, based on what I told you about the field of gynecology, and there's been forced sterilizations and all kinds, just the black and brown community has been reproductively abused for hundreds of years. And so they're already on the forefront of advocacy for themselves and their bodies. So they've been prepared for this. And that's why when Roe v. Wade came down, it was Black folks are going to step this one out. We're already marginalized. We're already marginalized. We're all, so I, I, I what do you want us to do? We've been telling you what to do. We've, we've given yeah. you the resource. All you have to do is shut the fuck up. Yes. Listen like, to us and do what we say. You don't seriously. have to be in the front. You wearing a handmaid's tail does that doesn't do anything. You wearing a pink pussy hat and doing these performative ass rap that doesn't do anything. And so until white women realize that, and I'm taking a page out of Desiree B. Stevens off TikTok, they birth and raise their own oppressors. Yeah, they, they made really them the way do. they are. They really do, and you know that. They're the same ones who were like, I got spankings and I'm fine. My parent was a narcissist and I'm fine. This had my, my pastor molested me and I'm fine. You know, like, yeah, I'm so wait I know this is crazy but after my sister passed away and I found out like like the whole country basically is just built off of genocide and sex trafficking and I remember post I I went and posted this on the Baker County uh um for the people by the people news page or whatever it's called that's the uh, where I lived a little town forum Facebook page and I was like oh my I was freaking out, Cassie. Literally, I was like, "Did you guys know that the that 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 the whole country is literally built on lies, blood, and rape, and genocide, and sex trafficking? Did y'all know? Did you? That's why my family's messed up. Did you know? And like crickets, I got crickets. I was freaking the fuck out. I'm like, did y'all? I'm like, y'all. If it can happen to Black and Indigenous people, it's gonna happen again. It's gonna happen again. And then three I don't know four months later Roe v Wade happened I'm just like see I tried to tell y'all but none of y'all want to listen to me no and I know everybody else like black and indigenous people have been saying that for centuries it's so frustrating and then what is it built on so that you can go to church on Sundays nope, I don't get it because they do not so I'm going to use my mother and my ex's mother in this particular instance when you have done so much foul shit whether it be because hurt people hurt people and we act out of trauma responses and all of that. And that's not what I'm talking about. When you do foul shit on purpose to alleviate your own ugly feelings, it piles up. And if you admit one thing, you have to admit all of the things. And that would mean that your son's behavior is actually your fault. And yep. the way that your husband treats people 
and the the husband you picked is your daddy's fault and so it's it's a cycle and actually in another book that I'm 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 audiobooking like 75 books right now I just discovered Z library which is a free library resource and if you donate to them you can download like 15 books a day so I yeah I know I know zlibrary.com you just need to get a tour network and yes so I downloaded White Rage I haven't started I'm like six chapters into white fragility. I'm working on my grandmother's hands. And then I'm almost done with um, The Body Never Lies by Alice Miller. And she talks about poisonous pedagogy, which is I'm doing this for your own good. I'm beating you because I love you. And so that, again, is epigenetic trauma that they just don't have no other tools. Whereas the rest of us in our generation, we are like, I'm going to make some tools because I can't sit here and beat on my children. I can't sit here and deprive my children of life experiences because a lot of the older generations too are like, well, like for my mom, I didn't get to do that. So you can't either. Or I went through this and you know, you can go through it too, or you should go through this because I did or like, no, I, I heard someone say, we don't go on vacations because I didn't go on vacations as a kid. And that's so uncalled for. That's one thing if you can't afford it, you know, or you just don't live in a place where vacations are possible. But, you know, just to say like, hey, just out of spite, you know, um, I forgot what you called it, but that was a really good word for it. Um, it's very poisonous, you know, it, it's toxic. And I think back on my mother's behavior, my grandmother's behavior, and I'm sure you can agree to this with your family, um, just that their traits and things, their behaviors were just very unnecessary. I can understand possibly, you know, um, beating my child because I love them, you know, back in slavery days, because maybe if I beat them, the master might not pick them to do worser things. So that, okay, I can understand, but we're not living in those times. And, and um, at least in, in my experience, like with, like, you know, cause I'm a trauma survivor. Um, my family shouldn't have been doing all the stuff that they were doing. Um, uh, and the reason I actually, I say that, um, because I almost said we're not, we haven't been living in slavery times for a while, but I found no, out. We still are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So but they want the I white people myself. now. They don't need us. They want the white folks. Now that's why wages and labor looks the way that it does. This is yeah. just new slavery. Yeah, they, new slavery and what about the 13th amendment where how it only protects people from slavery unless you're in, in a prison criminal. yeah a criminal and loitering um is a criminal offense being homeless is a criminal offense mm -hmm. so if you don't have a home and you don't have a job you're, you're a slave be, you're a slave yes we've, re we've officially re-entered the feudal system like when i lived in sacramento i'm born and raised in sacramento california and one of the jokes running in the black community is don't jaywalk downtown. Like I can jaywalk. It's not a big deal. I never got stopped for jaywalking, but they will hem you up face down on the concrete, take your ass to jail for jaywalking. Because that's a free worker. They got, you're going to be exactly doing whatever they pay them you 10 need to cents do. a day or whatever. Like most yeah. of the stuff that you buy in stores is, is created based off of slave labor actual prisoner labor 
Yeah. And if it's not somebody in prison doing it, it's some poor kid in a Chinese factory or some poor African kid picking the cacao off the tree and running as fast as he can to put it on the truck. Because if he doesn't get meet his quota fast enough, he's going to get beat for it just so we can get our precious Starbucks drink or chocolate. I mean, you know that they send children down into mine shafts because their bodies are smaller. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. Have you seen that movie Snowpiercer? I have not, but I will watch it. You should watch it. Um, it's about it's a movie. I won't spoil it too much, but it's a movie. Um, and it relates to what what you just said. And that's no, all you I'll can say. spoil it because oh, okay, I'm okay, I'll spoil and I'm going to read the plot before I watch it, anyways. Okay, that's me. They actually made it to a show too. So it's about this movie where the world ends, but somebody created this train that can go around the world um, in a year. Um, and, and the world ended through an ice age. Uh, so, and in the train, um, all of the the sections on it are based off of, uh, um, not, uh, not race, but um, level. class class thank you class so the front of the train would be like the captain's um steer or or whatever you call it and then the back of it would be like the very steerage there we go thank you um so they decide uh, one of the kids in the very back of the of the um train they kept going missing and the one of the guys that that lived back there was like, I know that we're not crazy. These kids are going somewhere because it's a train. Like, where are you, you going? Know, yeah, you can only go straight. Exactly. Like, where are you going? If it's and if they're cut off into sections of class, then those kids can't go. Where are you anything. going? Exactly. Exactly. So the uh, the guy he manages to fight his way all the way to the front of the train and when he gets there he meets the captain he's like oh yeah he's like y'all come up here every like 10 years I remember the great revolution of blah 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 and the great revolution of blah blah and he starts spitting off like all these different guys that were similar to him while they've been on the train and the whole reason that he was up there is because he was trying to find the kids well the kids were inside of the train's engine because they were the only ones who were small enough to mine the train to keep it going if they didn't do it then the train would collapse and humanity would cease to exist so what do you do do you keep the small child in the slave labor to keep humanity going or do you save the child and just let humanity die and guess what Well, yeah, that's what they were doing. But then they blew up the train and the only two survivors was the guy and the kid. Awesome. Yeah. I like it. I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You you should watch it. It's a really good movie and it puts it in a really good perspective because you're basically just like, that's just how the whole world is. You let you sit here and think about all this, you know, child slave labors and stuff in the world. And um, also I didn't know this, but did you know they use like our reproduct or like our organs? Like the reason the, I think the whole reason abortion is the thing that it is, is because they use, um, like the, the medical waste for stuff. That is a rumor for the most part. They do use aborted fetuses for like stem cells and stuff. But that typically is right-wing propaganda saying that, like, they're smearing the blood on their... They just found, like, I don't know if you know this, but they just found uh, 
a pro-lifer with like 99 fetuses like in coolers and like she just she just stole them from like a medical waste like it's it's that is that is right-wing propaganda they don't they use the abortion so so they're not drinking the blood and doing all that no that's that's right-wing propaganda that is oh thank god because i heard that they was doing all kinds of weird ritualistic weird stuff so on that note though have you heard of the movie get out i haven't that is a much more plausible scenario. So the premise of that movie is a black man date is dating a white girl. He goes to their home to meet her family and it's discovered. I haven't seen it because I have kids and they never leave me alone, but I've heard, I've read all the analysis and all that. Basically they wanted his melanin because melanin is, is like a hot commodity. And so, like, they wanted to basically, like, wear his skin and do all of that because white people are obsessed. They believe that's where you, if anyone's rubbing blood on their faces from aborted fetuses, it's white women. I'm telling, I swear to God. If anyone's eating aborted fetuses, it's white women because they're after eternal youth. Because I, no offense to you, yeah. white women that are, that are mean hearted, they age like spoiled milk yeah and, they they do because their skin you know and then they go and out and play in the sun and do all this yep. stuff and their self-worth is tied to their appearance which is why and uh crutches and spice on tiktok said this she's an amazing disability advocate i adore her she was talking about how like nobody took covid seriously because the effects aren't obvious whereas people are going to take monkeypox seriously because it disfigures you mm-hmm so like, oh, by the way, um, I have not done a lot of research on that. And my husband asked me this earlier and I did not know that. Not a gay to... disease. Uh, no, no, that, that, that wasn't the question. Does it, <laughs> does it kill you? They have reported cases of deaths now. I think it's like 10 across the world. I, I'm not sure. So are they're... people afraid of it because they're going to die or because they're no, going to be because ugly? No, because it causes lesions. Uh, like like painful ones Big, I, I, ugly. I haven't yeah, done no, any research on it at all no, so, <laughs> so that's I what I'm asking just reading about it today like to check out the symptoms because my kids and I have been to the doctors we don't leave our house pretty much but like we've been out in the world a few times and I wanted to just make sure because it is highly contagious highly contagious like you can get it from a blanket you can get it from pretty much anything and so and then Side note, the fact that it's being tied to homosexuality is a knock to what they did with AIDS back in the Mm -hmm. day. It's propaganda to turn people against the gay community. And it's also a wonderful opportunity to remove children from gay homes. If a child gets monkeypox from going to school and they have a gay parent, they're automatically now assumed to have molested their child. There was an article that was framed that way that there was a child with monkeypox that's known to have contact with gay men. And so... Yeah, side note there. But no, it causes like fever, rash, chills, and then these big, ugly, lesion, pustule things that people have described as excruciating. And it, it's, it's like smallpox. And, but the, I, I want to say the lesions are permanent, like they scar. So there's actually a man right now, I just saw a video right before I got on with you. He has them all over his chin. And it looks like the worst case of herpes you've ever seen. And it's, it is disgusting. It is disgusting. 
And so, yeah, and you're seeing now there was just a, the news reported a man standing on the train, I think it was in Spain, standing on the train covered in monkeypox pustules. And he said that I'm not contagious because, um, or something about it's a gay disease. So no, I don't have monkeypox. Or the criteria to be tested and or vaccinated is that you have to be a homosexual. There's a lot of people that have been turned away, women that have been turned away from testing because they're not gay men. You're not, you don't meet the criteria. So this is going to be, it's already being handled as badly as COVID was. But yeah, it's, it's, it's because white people's self-worth is tied to the material. They are, and, and honestly, on that note, white women, this, and this is, in as a whole in related to their healing white women have been disconnected from their womanhood from their femininity from their power from their voice from their sexual energy they are and they have to just like because basically they're trauma survivors but it's more of like the covert trauma. Like I didn't realize that I had been abused until I started talking to educated people. I just thought that, that was normal and I deserved it. You know what I mean? And same, so, same. so apply that to white women as a whole, keeping in mind everything that we've discussed about why they might feel inadequate. They have to, as a whole, reconnect with their sacral, their solar plexus, their heart. Basically, they got to open up their chakras because they are so far disconnected that that is the reason they age the way that they do. That is the reason for the health problem. Like, don't even get me started on the ways that your body chakras and unspoken words and repressed anger can manifest. Why do you think you see lines of kidney disease, lines of freaking um reproductive reproductive issues Mm -hmm. like and honestly honestly many white women like can't have babies that's why they're that's the spiritual get back for all the babies they killed Mm -hmm. say it again that is divine retribution in my and that's what that's what kills me about the whole roe v wade thing too is that they're like I, it's God's will that I should know your infertility is God's will. Your husband's limp dick is God's will, not you basically becoming a predator to a woman in crisis and stealing her child or buying her child. Like, you know what? It's yeah. It's yeah. They, yeah, they shouldn't have like, I'm glad like there's some people I know, like they ended up having all girls, like they never had any more boys. I'm like, man, that is so good. They didn't have any more boys or they just couldn't have kids at all. And I know that that's sad. Um, and some people, you know, like maybe they really are good people or something, but I don't know. And then sometimes I even think like, I don't wait, like, I'm not saying I deserve for all of the trauma that I got, but like, look at the people who raised me, like, look what they were doing we repeat patterns until we begin to see the I'm telling you the first time that I realized that I was harming my son because up until he was about I don't know two and a half or three I was my mom I was going through a lot I was working I was going through I was very and undiagnosed autistic I didn't accommodate myself 
a lot of trauma responses. I was very reactive and I parented the way that I had been parented. And I remember I yelled at him one day and I saw the light in his eyes dim a little bit and that nearly killed me. And I was like, this is not, as my son's favorite movie says, this is not a sustainable model for friendship. (laughs) This this is not going to work out. Like we can't. So I have, that is what started this is that I remember I said to my mom, when I was probably 16 or 17, um, she said, I can't wait till you have kids that are just like you so you can see what you put me through. And I said to her, I can't wait till I have kids either because I'm going to be different. Because if my kids ever feel about me the way I feel about you, I will know I have failed as a mother. Amen. Like it. So it's it again, looking at post-traumatic slave syndrome, it's almost as though on the flip, we have post-traumatic colonizer syndrome. They come from bloodthirsty, inadequate men, jealous, inadequate, insecure women. Why do you think their worth is tied to beauty? Why do you think men, white men, have to be the best at everything, even when they're not the best? Because like you said, they're afraid that you're going to see how small they are and beauty is just the skin deep because the women are just the same. You know, they just uh, just like the have you seen that new Victoria's uh, Secret song? No. Oh, it's been um, uh, sharing on TikTok quite a bit. uh, This girl, she did a flash flash mob out in front of Victoria's Secret and it's like, I know Victoria's secret. She was made up by a dude, an old white dude or something like that. I and, love that. And she showed a picture of Jeffrey Epstein in the video. Like it, like that's who made Victoria's secret. She was like, he was made up by a dude. You'll have to go hey, check it out. Everything that we do in this world is tied to the male gaze and a lot of the problems that we have in this world between men and women is due to the fact that men are not really attracted to women. They go back to the Greeks. They encouraged homoerotic relationships, sex and friendship. And that is also why coming forward, men cannot have relationships with women. They can't have friendship with women because it ain't there because everything men do is for the male gaze so does that make sense yes will you say that one more time say which thing one more time oh that very last sentence I didn't hear what you said for uh, what, oh. what you said with the gaze oh back in the day with with the Greeks we talked about the Greeks and they encouraged homoerotic relationships sex and friendship Yes. Oh, I'm glad that you brought that up um, because that just reminded me um, that makes so much more sense to me that the Bible was talking about don't lay with children instead of gay because that has never, ever, ever, ever made sense to me. I'm like, why does God care about gay people? Why? I'm like, everything's everything is projection. We like for me, I was bullied a lot for my voice, for the things that I had to say. I was told that my words didn't matter, that they were hurtful. And I see now that it's because I was actually spitting facts and truth. And because I'm autistic, I make, I'm not trying, I'm not reading anybody. I'm not being a bitch. 
I'm making an observation based on the behavior patterns that I am seeing. And I say it without subtext. I'm not inferring anything. What I'm saying to you is what I'm saying to you. And so when the reason that white people, white men as a whole hate gays is really because they're turned on by them. They're actually, most of them are actually homosexual and with, because of misogyny and the patriarchy and Bible and all of that, they are not allowed to embrace that. And so with anything with going back to white people don't like to be uncomfortable, anything that makes you uncomfortable, you shut that shit down. Yup. Yup. With fear or anger or whatever Physical violence. falls under that um, glacier. So it's the glacier of violence, whatever. Yeah. How, yeah. Violence is not just physical. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, Cassie, I'm um, gonna wrap it up tonight. Um, thank you very, very much for having this discussion with me. I've already learned a lot just in having this discussion. And as always, um, I p- appreciate everything that you have to say and all the facts. Like, um, you know, even when you say you're autistic, I just appreciate. Uh, I like that I don't ever have to question what you're saying, and I love how educated you are. Like, you remember days and numbers and. Do you re- always remember numbers and dates like that so well? Have you always been that way, or is that, or is it only like because you that maybe this is something everything, you're interested in? Everything. I'm. I've always called my brain a computer. Like, I give me an Excel spreadsheet, and I can pick out the number that you need within ten seconds. I remember every address I've ever lived at, all the phone numbers I've ever had. Like, I I know my kids' socials, their medical record numbers. Like, I know, I remember, I can't do, I have dyscalculia, so I can't do math, but I can remember numbers really well. It's really interesting. Me too. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting quality. I'm, that's why I asked you that, because I've never met another person that remembers. I, I um can't forget people's birthdays. And I've always thought that was like, I can't, like, I can't remember your name, but I'll remember your birthday, yep. like for 40 years. Isn't that yep. weird? Yep. I still on the days of the trigger, because I have dates that trigger me. So like I on everybody's birthday I'm like oh and I'll think of them for a second and then like move on but yeah I remember pretty much every I have an elephant's memory so speaking of birthdays when is your birthday January 2nd day late dollar short club oh well you know what I like it you know because the day usually day after new year's everybody has a hangover everybody feels good on the second drunk or two they're out of town my son's birthday is the day after christmas so we we together form the daily dollar short club because yes everybody's with their family out of town doing other things don't have money like it's yeah. And because I'm autistic, dates are important. So like my mom used to, when I was really, cause I didn't have birthday parties after I was like eight years old or something um, that were good. And, but I remember she'd be like, well, just do it on Saturday. And I'm like, my birthday's on Tuesday. I don't want my birthday on Saturday. We can just go to dinner. Like I used to make her take me to dinner on my birthday because it was my birthday. My birthday, it doesn't have the same feeling on Saturday right same same have you taken the rads girl 
I have. And that thing says that I'm autistic. Well, you probably are then. But you I don't know what to do with that information. You know, like, what do I do? Go to a doctor? Or... No, you literally learn <laughs> what your stems and triggers are. What things. But then, could... like, when I asked my therapist about that, she's like, oh, that's just your trauma. No, <laughs> don't, don't listen. So, all of the mental health information, I know you said you wanted to go. I just wanted to, we can end with this all of them. And I was talking to my therapist about this the other day. Cause she was like, how do I just, cause I'm radicalizing my old white lady therapist. It's hilarious to watch. Like I'm, I'm discussing my identity with her and I'm blowing her mind. She's like, you are a marvel to Like, I don't even have to therapy you. You just talk and figure it out yourself. But, um, she's like, how do I dismantle this? And I was like, you can't like you you're working in a system where all the information is 30 years old and based on eugenics like how most doctors I'm too pretty to have autism I've been told by a doctor that is insane yeah like I'm I don't know I'm not a doctor and I don't want to disrespect them and I didn't go to their medical school but every time I go in there they use google exactly so I mean what you can do is you can go to autism TikTok, start identifying your stims because when you were raised in trauma, you are you refrain from moving your body freely. You refrain. You are told to stay still, keep quiet. So we don't know what our stims are. Clap your hands, see how it feels. Do you walk on your tiptoes? So find out what the indicators are. Figure out which ones are yours, and then figure out where you can accommodate yourself. Wow, that must be why I like to crunch eggshells. Texture. (laughs) I have this weird obsession with crunching eggshells. Isn't that so weird? No, it's not weird. (laughs) My son watches... My son watches movie studio logos on repeat and draws them over and over and over and over. And before that, it was Law & Order. And before that, it was Baby Shark. Like, he's literally... Oh, your girl... (laughs) <laughs> he had an ice he had an iced t-shirt in a 4t like that's how much he loved oh my god i love like, it Ice like, tea is my best friend not really like, but yeah i love yeah. him dude so, his attitude yeah. is like swag he my son loves him some odafin tutuola so yeah like we all have our own hyperfixations and special interests and this is part of your decolonization actually is to look at your internalized ableism because you've been told you shouldn't do these things or that these things aren't acceptable, look at yourself. Sit in the pain, grieve what you could have had if things had been different and begin to take care of you first. That's why we should be weird and wonderful, right, Cassie? Absolutely. I tell my children to be unapologetically themselves and I make my son say to me every day, nearly every day, um, I am not perfect, but I am perfect just the way that I am. Oh, I love that. We should end with that. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect just the way that I am. Yes. And I want to send that message to my, all of my brothers and sisters in the black community. Y'all have been through a lot and we're here to do the legwork now. Yes. Thank you for that, Cassie. And thank you again for being here and and having this space with me and sharing and educating. Um, I don't know if it's easy or difficult, but um, I just appreciate like you sharing all of this information. I feel like I, it is an ancestral duty. It is also a part of 
my decolonization of my white half to do the labor that black women have done, I owe it to them. They carried the nation on their backs. So it, it's difficult, but it's not as difficult as it would be for someone who is dark skinned black to recount this information because black trauma is all the rage. And I'm so happy to be a vessel for people to just share this information, you know, because I'm just like, Black people, I mean, excuse me, white people just, in my opinion, this is my opinion, white people have had the reins for so long. And I'm just like, y'all just need to shut up. Just shut up. Hand the reins over. Land yes. Land and I'm like, back. I got a microphone and people like me, you know, like people like to listen to me so I can get people, you know, yep. crowd, you know, like listen. And I'm like, okay, here, you take the mic. Now you say all the stuff. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm yeah. so happy to do that. I'll give you some resources to disseminate too. And if ever you want to go over anything, you know, I'm always happy to come back. Okay. Yes. We, we definitely will have you back for sure. I love that. Me too. Thank you, Cassie. I love you. Good night. Good night.